you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hey everyone, this is Susan Rosen and today I have another guest here on the podcast and his name is Dr. Jay Sordian. Did I say it right? Okay. Sordian like accordion. Accordion, accordion yeah. yeah. Um, and he is um, a best-selling author of three books on brain health, one of which I just finished reading, which was very interesting. And thank you. You can uh, well, we'll tell you towards the end on how you can actually get a, an online copy of it. Um, he's been invited on more than two dozen television talk shows as a leading medical expert on ways to prevent dementia. He's a teach, been a teacher and clinician for more than 45 years. And maybe at some point we can get him to actually tell us how old he is. Um, (laughs) Treated thousands of unique patients with acupuncture, shiatsu, herbs, homeopathy, nutrition, and functional medicine. So out of curiosity, when you say unique, does that mean different? You're saying thousands of different patients or Yes, sometimes okay. sometimes people will say that they've seen millions of patients. Oh, and but that's it's just, actually millions of patient patients. visits. Got it. And it could be the same person every single time, right? That's the insider secret. Ah, got it. Okay, that's good to know. I could say millions. I, you know, I've treated millions. There you go. I could. That, absolutely. Yeah. I have no doubt. And a, he is a consultant and trainer on personality typing systems to improve communication in companies and teams. That's always interesting. And Dr. Jay's purpose is to help as many people as possible achieve optimal health and vitality so they can fulfill their purpose in life. And he, let's see, he's taken patients from severe brain fog and fatigue and memory loss and getting lost in their shower to returning to master's level program academic success and clarity of mind and dream European vacations, succeeding in transforming lives, saving them tens of thousands of dollars in additional unnecessary medical care costs, which is probably even more now, using his simple three-step proven process, which we will talk about during the podcast. Great. So welcome, Jay. Dr. Jay, I believe is what you like. So so happy to have you here and maybe you can, can give us, I went through a lot of the the specifics, but I guess put it that way. How about giving us kind of your, your take on particularly on where you are now and, and what you're seeing and um, the kinds of people that you are dealing with. And then, and then maybe, you know, throw in a little bit about how maybe COVID has, has affected what you've been doing as well. Sure. Well, uh, oh, I've worked in clinical medicine uh, with natural medicine techniques for 
little more than 40 years and involved with oriental medicine uh, since mm. college. Mm. And uh, so that makes me at least 100 years old, right? And uh, you look awful good for your age. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so what I really love doing is help helping people save the 10, 15, 20 year degeneration curve. What happens is that, that many people start to degenerate and it's this slow, slow, slow degeneration. And they don't really notice what's going on until it gets really bad. And so I like to stop that and reverse it before it turns into something that is going to decrease the quality of their life and also decrease the years of their life. And so I focused a lot the past 10 years on brain health. I think I lost you. Okay, so we are back recording. Right. Sorry, sorry, everybody. We had a little bit of a, uh, of a breakdown here, an electronic video breakdown. The shelter-in-place Zoom breakdown. It's there you go. Atypical in yes, this yes. environment. So uh, I've I've uh, worked with people for more than forty years, mm. and I and um, in clinical settings. And prior to that, I first started being interested in Oriental medicine uh, when I started college, and I started doing Tai Chi at age eighteen. Oh. And so that's where my uh, background in energetic medicine started i studied japanese and then i li lived in japan i studied more tai chi and i started studying acupuncture more because it seemed to be a natural extension of energetic medicine from a chinese perspective mm. so i did um i lived in japan three years total i traveled through asia for a couple of years got a variety of illnesses and uh, one of which was uh this foot infection mm. and uh that was in 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 sri lanka there's a little coral cut. And as I was slowly traveling back up north, uh, I would stop to, with various doctors and go in and, and they tried gentian violet, a variety of different things and some homeopathy, but I wasn't there long enough. And I ended up in Nepal, which I love. Mm -hmm. And so I was up in Nepal and my foot was getting worse and worse. My uh, leg was starting to swell up. It was very infected. I went to the ER and I stood in line for like five hours, even though all the people... And they Paul were going, go jump, jump the front of the line. But I didn't want to do that. There's, you know, they, they, they said, go up there. It's okay. No, no. So I waited and they gave me antibiotics. And so I took those for a number of days and it seemed to help my foot, but then it came back even worse. And it was advancing up past my knee. So I checked myself into a hospital. This is pretty scary. My leg was like looking like it was going to have to be uh, mm. removed or something. It was bad. And so uh, I had IV drip and all that type of thing. And then uh, friends of mine I was staying with in a, in a little house uh, outside Kathmandu said, why don't you go see Dr. Mana? He's a, a, a uh, Ayurvedic doctor and everyone knew Dr. Mana. So I hobbled my way through the back streets and, and found him. And uh, he looked at it. He says, okay, that's fine. And here, just take these herbs and, and put this put uh, this avocado oil and these other herbs and put it on there and keep, keep your foot dry where the wound was and everything. I mean, it was the, the, the tissue was just literally peeling off. Like it wasn't quite down to the bone, not to gross out anyone, but th this is serious stuff. And uh, I said, what is it? He said, it's leprosy. I, I, how many of you out in the listening audience have had leprosy? Now I didn't care what he called it. He could have called it whatever, but 
he knew what to do for it. So I took these herbs, homeopathic, I mean, uh, Ayurvedic herbs. They look like little rabbit droppings. And, uh, and, and I put this salve on my foot. And after a month, it was all healed up and it was better. Wow. So I, I understood the power of natural medicine and wow. herbal medicine. And it, it saved my leg, literally. So um, there were a variety of things that I had as I was traveling. So, you know, as a doctor, it's actually good to get sick. Uh, that's what I feel because you often learn something about the healing process and what what things are going to work and what things don't work. So it can open your mind as to the possibilities of other methods. And that's what it helped do. So when I got back to the U.S., I lived in Philadelphia for four and a half years. I started taking formal acupuncture classes so I could become licensed. I also worked for the National Cancer Institute, translating mm -hmm. Japanese research on cancer. Oh, wow. So uh, I know a lot about cancer and I know a lot about it from a, uh, the Japanese language standpoint. So then I moved to California so I could practice legally. And that's that's sort of the start of my legal clinical license practice. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And when was that? So I moved to California in 1983. Oh, OK. Yeah. So uh that was licensures and acupuncturists. And then there are a variety of other, other subjects I've studied, the homeopathy, hypnotherapy, mm -hmm. herbs, things like that. And in, in California, acupuncturists are trained in Chinese herbs as well mm -hmm. as acupuncture. It's part of the licensure. Uh -huh. Although technically you don't have to be licensed, a licensed acupuncturist to practice herbal medicine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you have to have some kind of a license to practice herbal medicine? No. Out of curiosity? No. Huh. Okay. Interesting. No. You don't have to have a license to do a lot of things. <laughs> That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> ac ac acupuncture. Um, at the time, acupuncture needles were declared experimental devices by the AMA. Oh, okay. And so it was why acupuncture was not uh, recognized as uh, a true medical field or uh, wasn't recognized for insurance. And I had discovered that when I was working at, uh, for the National Cancer Institute in Philadelphia at the Franklin Institute. Mm -hmm. I, I was doing some research to figure out, well, why, why isn't acupuncture legal? And I, I came across this obscure document that was the, it was some subcommittee of a medical devices committee of the <gasps> American Medical Association and they classified acupuncture needles as experimental devices. And so I kind of uncovered this. I, I have to take credit for it. And mm -hmm. then later on, the associations then worked with the AMA to get it declassified as an okay. experimental device so that it acupuncture itself was not considered experimental. So that's kind of how that, that all played out. But anyway, yeah. um, things have changed over the last 40 years. Well, yeah. And at that time, there were only five states that licensed acupuncture, and now it's 48. There's still a couple holdouts. At any rate, that's how I got started. And uh, because of my, the life-saving interventions of Ayurvedic medicine and other herbal medicines, things of that nature, um, my practice of Tai Chi, et cetera, I, I just started studying mm. other, other areas of holistic medicine and ways to enhance one's energy one's uh mindset mm. and um how to shift some of the the deep patterning that we that we all have uh because we were all we all started out as as blank slates and depending mm. on our environment yeah uh 
our parents, the languages that we heard, the music that we heard as we were growing up, the activities that we did. There are a lot of things that are deeply ingrained deep in our, our brain, in our nervous system that are just uh, reflex. And because mm -hmm. there's so many things that are so deeply embedded, sometimes we have to undo those in mm -hmm. order to reverse some of the, the other patterns that exist that, that may cause a health problem or a behavioral problem or a or a, a difficulty getting along with other people, things of that nature. So that's why I started really putting more focus on the brain uh, because oh. it's very fascinating to look at the yeah. physiology of the brain and the development of our brains mm -hmm. from, uh, from the embryological standpoint. And so that's, that's why um, the, this book, Super Brain, Maximize Your Brain Health for a Better Life. I'm, and I didn't say all this so I could pull this book up, but in this, um, I go through sort of in a, in a chronological timeline fashion, mm -hmm. describing the embryological and the other development of our brain and nervous system mm. from the standpoint of a brain talking to another brain. Interesting. Because it, you know, it's my brain. It's, it's my speech, largely function of brain function. And sound you know vocal cords creating the right shape with the mouth mm -hmm. it's air and musculature and tonal chambers which is which is that plus uh all of the the deeply entrenched patterning that enables me to use my indiana my hoosier american english accent to produce these sounds coming out and so the same okay. thing handwriting we all mm -hmm. have to learn to write i mean i i do japanese not mm. very good calligraphy, but Japanese characters and stuff. And that's, that's a different language system, which works in a different way in the brain too. Right. Then simply the 26 letters of the English alphabet. Whereas in, in Japan, if you are just to read a standard newspaper, you have to know at least 2000 characters, not mm. 26 letters of the alphabet. Mm. And so that's bound to have some totally, you know, a strong effect yeah. on the brain deep down, deep, 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 deep inside in our reflex, in our reptilian mm -hmm. brain. But anyway, um, I just think it's fascinating. Um, and so that's why I wrote this book in a way that occasionally I will say, no, remember, this is my brain talking to your brain because as we go around as yeah. it's just so natural to do what we do. But actually thinking of the physiology and the function that's happening in the moment is it, astonishing. It's really quite astonishing. Oh, absolutely. Actually do what we do. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just the fact that that there's information that comes into our eyes, right? That's right. That, that you know, makes us think that those are real, that, that what we're seeing is real somehow. It's, it's a lot of light energy coming in yeah, through yeah. a lens reflected against the retina. Yeah. And then all these little nerve impulses going through the optic nerve and then going to the brain. And, and the brain comes up with some sort of a, a, a memory pattern. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think the, the chair that I'm sitting on, it, 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 it wouldn't fit inside my head. <laughs> and yet I have a whole like concept of chairs. You can rotate them around. How many millions of chairs can you possibly imagine in your head? But you look at yeah. something as, oh, that's a chair. Yeah. Or, or the fact that you and I could be looking at exactly the same thing and see something totally different. I think that often. And the same thing with colors. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. It, it, 
I'm pretty scientifically oriented. Hmm. And so I have a feeling and perhaps logically I, I try to dispel the thought that all the, that your green is different from my green. Mm-hmm. I try to dispel that thought. Mm-hmm. It could, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. I'm, oh, I'm it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's people that are colorblind, you know, I mean, that's true. It's that's true. Um, yeah. I, I have certain you know, colorblindness. There's in yeah. fact, I, I did a, a podcast about um, that, that, we all see something different, which is why the police these days do not use eyewitness accounts if they can help it. They'd much rather have a video or something because everybody literally sees something different. And they, they can, you know, they've checked things against videos and people are coming yeah. up with things that were nowhere near, not, yeah. you know, not even yeah. close. And people can go to of- jail for that. Oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We we there is so much information coming in all the Mm -hmm. time uh, Mm -hmm. that is impacting our body, both uh, visually, sound wise, auditorily, our taste buds, our sense of smell. If they aren't clogged like mine are right now, um, and and kinesthetically, both movement and Mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. There's so much stimulation happening constantly. We have to we have to filter out a huge amount. I forget what the percentage is, but we just filter it out because it'd be too overwhelming. Our, our system yeah. can't deal with that much. Yeah. And that is part of the potential explanation why people people's experience of a particular situation is so radically different from the other because you may be all this, you know, the car that mm-hmm. ran over somebody, it's the mm-hmm. same car and stuff, but you may have diverted your attention yeah. or you might've been thinking about the food you just had. So you didn't see anything. It, what was in your mind was just like this food. It had nothing to do with the, the external environment. So yeah. you're right. You're yeah. right. It's very, very fascinating how we operate. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it really is. It, it's so um, mind blowing. <laughs> to use an appropriate word, Definitely. right? Yeah. <laughs> So many mind blows. Yeah. There you go. There you, you don't go. Want to just explode the whole thing off. <laughs> okay. Well, we've kind of gone down a, a little different tack here, so maybe we should go back to going to be talking a little bit more um, about what you've been doing, um, particularly to help people with brain issues yeah, well, and um, mind issues and other issues. Uh huh. Let me let me give uh, uh, a couple examples. Okay. Um, one example is someone who I call Nancy, mm-hmm. uh, and Nancy had come to one of my community workshops where I was talking about fibromyalgia. She and her girlfriend came in. It was a coffee shop. It wasn't a huge number of people, but I was talking about fibromyalgia, the symptoms of it, and some of the different causes of it, and. So after, and, and she, Nancy had actually been, it was very hard for her to actually get into the place because for mm-hmm. the last year, year and a half, she had had this chronic fatigue where she was sleeping 18 hours a day. Wow. And she had been a master's of public health student getting top grades. And then she had this pretty rapid decline and she had to borrow, she couldn't, she couldn't work. Uh, she had to borrow money from family and friends. She was like 30 grand in debt. She had gone to a lot of other doctors and all, and no one seemed to know what was going on or could help her. 
So she came in the office and we, first of all, I use my three simple step proven process where I discover the underlying causes of what may be going on. Next, I design an individual program, which I did for her. And then I deliver a, the results, which often are very transformative and helping someone get back the vitality that they had before and that they lost. And so uh, there were a variety of different issues that were going on with her, which we were able to discover. One had to do with meningeal compression or meningeal Mm -hmm. torquing. Um, That's a sheath that surrounds the brain and Mm -hmm. has major impact on the flow of blood and the flow of cerebral spinal fluid. And it also can irritate nerves so that the nerves fire, keep firing, firing, firing. Mm -hmm. And that can be totally exhausting. Yeah, I bet. Someone. Wow. It, it's just like if you have too much stimulation come in, your whole body shuts down. Yeah. And so we work with those those things. We uh, had to deal with a few of her uh, food allergies. Hmm. And as a result of that, after like, and these are some of the people I've worked with, <laughs> after, after hmm. that, um, she was able to go back. She finished her master's. She went right back up to the top of the class. She was able to work. She was able to pay off this huge debt to her family, which many of them were just worried that she would eventually just die at yeah. a very early age because of this. And so it's very, it's very heartwarming that I could, I could help find these particular things that others had not looked mm-hmm. look for because they weren't trained in it and uh, give her life back. Oh, wow. So that was yeah. really exciting. Now she was only, she was like 25, 26. So I know that this program is health after 50, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so so I realized that. So let me give you, would it be okay if I uh, talked about another person? Oh, sure, All sure. Right. And so um, the next person is Hans. And Hans, again, not, not his real name. Hans <laughs> was brought in by his wife and his wife knew me from a Chamber of Commerce events. Um, and she also had come in as a patient because of menopausal issues that mm. she had so fun what i said those are fun oh yeah being totally oh, yeah. sarcastic yeah, yeah, I know. thank menopausal god i'm past it fun. yeah it, it can be really for some women it, it is just hell it was was it for you oh yeah sorry to hear that yeah. sorry to hear that yeah wow um so anyway i helped her mm-hmm. with her hormonal issues no so he came in and, and how many people in the audience, how, perhaps um, you also, Susan, do you, do you take showers? Yes. You like, do you like sitting in the shower and the warm water coming down? A lot of yes. people take really long showers. Yeah, that's true. I know I'm not, not, I'm not one of those, but yeah, it yeah, does I feel good. Conserve water. Yeah. But still, sometimes it just feels so good. Kind of like mm-hmm. a, a warm waterfall coming down the body. Yes, yes, exactly. Hans yeah. loved to take these showers. It was part of his routine in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so one day he was in the shower and, and you know, he's taking his normal shower. And then, no, he had Parkinson's. Oh, my father had that. And with Parkinson's, you start to lose control over movement. Mm-hmm. And he, he could not get out of his shower. Mm. It, he was locked in his shower in a panic for like 20 minutes. And he had to call his wife to help come and turn him around so he could get out of the shower. No, he'd been taking medications for it. But obviously the medications were not working anymore. And so he came into the office. Once again, we did the, we went through a, a series of tests to discover in addition to, to doing a complete and very thorough 
health history taking and history of his life to understand what kind of things impacted his life, what what may have caused the start of the degeneration of his nervous system and his body. But it wasn't so bad that he noticed it or he he mm. anything about it. So uh, we discovered for one thing that he had a lot of chemical toxicity in his system. Heavy metals are very, very damaging to the brain and nervous system, other tissues as well. He, um, when he was young, he, he grew up in Germany during World War II. And so he was exposed to all kinds of bad chemical things. He used to play with mercury and thermometers, you know, like a lot of kids yeah, yeah. inadvertently. He worked in an um, asbestos factory oh. for a number of years. And then he had been working in his own business that involved lots of cleaning of, of mechanical parts with mm -hmm. solvents and things like that. So, so he had all kinds of chemical and toxic exposures that we discovered and that we had to address in order to remove that burden from his body that was causing the degeneration of his nerves mm -hmm. and his brain tissue. Uh, so it took about six or eight months. Now, one of the things that he had like this 1954 Porsche convertible. Mm -hmm that he just loved. He'd been working on it for years. And his dream was to go to Europe with his wife and to drive around through the curvy streets of Italy and stuff. And, and, uh, but it was looking bleak when he first came in. Uh, you know, if you can't even find your way out of a shower, how could you possibly drive mm -hmm. safely on the roads? But uh, it was very exciting that we were able to give him back his dream and his dream vacation mm -hmm. to Europe. And that was a very transformative experience for him and, and me. It also like warms my heart to be able to help yeah. people in this way when they didn't have even the, uh, the thought that they would be able to do these things that um, a disease progression had prevented. Mm -hmm. So again, this was for him, it was, it was at least a 40, 50 year progression, although he had had the Parkinson's maybe eight years already. And so the progression of the breakdown of, of his body was caused by one thing after the next, after the next. Mm -hmm. And then it became obvious that something was going on. And oftentimes people, I really think it's better for people to come in before they start noticing symptoms, but most people don't. And Hans was yeah. one of those people who, it, it required a real crisis in, mm -hmm. his, in his life in order to seek the help that he, he really needed to turn it around yeah yeah no i know my um as i said my father had parkinson's and my mother right. took him for many years to a actually to a chinese uh -huh. acupuncturist uh -huh. herbalist and act and and acupuncturist yeah and that really did it, it did help him for Excellent. a long time and then but then he you know he got to a point where it just it, it had just kind of taken over yeah <clears throat> um but yeah, I, one of the things that I know that he was taking was a gabapentin, which is mm. which is to help improve the amount of GABA in the brain. Mm. But it's actually a reuptake inhibitor, meaning that it it keeps the GABA in in circulation outside the nerves more, but it actually mm. doesn't increase the amount. And so one of the things that I gave him was a nutrient that actually helps to build GABA, oh. not simply keeping it from from. Uh -huh. Interesting. So that Interesting. was a very important component that that um, his neurologist didn't think of. It's not something that they're trained in doing usually. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. And this, needless to say, was a long time ago. I'm trying to think. 
he was he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in the mid to, or early to mid seventies. Ah, all right. Uh huh. So, um, and sad. yeah, yeah. But it it's interesting. I I put it. I blame it on um, the pesticide use in Los ah. Angeles when he was a, a young young man because um, uh, they used to just spray it. They, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. <clears throat> city of Los Angeles, the in, inside the city downtown. But they used to spray. They used Mosquito to go over. Abatement or something? Something like that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. But they just sprayed. Blanket spraying, yeah. Blanket spraying of it. And in his family, there were 10 kids, one of whom died fairly young. Wow. But um, four of them ended up with Parkinson's. Brain so. degeneration is, is a, it's a major issue. For a yeah. lot of people and and one yeah. in three americans dies with dementia mm. one in three Scary, so it's it? an epidemic yeah which oh, is yeah. um why my one of my books is called outsmarting the dementia epidemic God, i walked right into that one didn't i <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's an epidemic and one yeah. in eight americans dies with alzheimer's so these yeah. are these are huge issues that can suck up a lot of money as well oh my God. in later years, um, even even beforehand. Yeah. Uh, it was like that one woman, Nancy, I think mm -hmm. I called her Nancy, yeah. um, real person, different name. Um, you know, it in a year and a half, she'd already spent $30,000, just yeah. both living expenses, but medical expenses, and, and it didn't help. I mean, obviously it helped her. She was still alive and she ate and, and rent. But um, if that had gone on longer, she was tapping out all her resources and she could have could have gone to the point of uh, being homeless or even um, bankruptcy mm -hmm. because bankruptcy medical costs are the biggest cause of bankruptcy mm -hmm. in the whole in the u.s especially now yeah and um, even now i i know a number of people who have parents who have dementia or alzheimer's and they're having to go into a specialized care that's anywhere from on the low end five thousand to twelve thousand a month yeah right oh no a month. Yeah. yeah oh yeah 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 no and i know so yeah, my dad was something early yeah. it's really it's more cost effective yeah yeah not to mention the the um you know having a better life oh um, oh yeah in the meantime yeah, the quality as of well life. yeah the quality of life is just not only for you, but for those who are caretakers, those around you, because it's really oh, more so hard on <laughs> actually more, more so for the caretakers, because right. the person who has it eventually gets to the point where they don't, they're not really cognizant of what's going on yeah. anyways. Um, and that's, yeah. you know, and the other thing, and maybe we can, we can address this as well is that people are living so much longer and so even though they've never really had problems like that because of this thing or that other thing that can happen when they're in their nineties, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe some other kind of physical thing breaks down, which is not unusual when you start getting up in that age. Not unusual. And, and so they end up getting isolated or just not getting out as much or whatever. They don't have that, that um, interaction yeah. with people and so they can start having a different kind of dementia, 
right? That's true. Isn't, isn't technically Alzheimer's or any of that kind of stuff, but it's like all their friends are gone. Um, you know, their relatives, their, their kids are busy. They're, you know, I mean, I could go down a whole, whole list. Um, so true. Yeah. We, yeah. Human beings are social beings. Yes. We, um, obviously we aren't, we aren't born in a test tube. We actually, not usually <laughs> are carried around inside our mother yeah. for nine months or however long it is. I mean, that's, that's pretty close association with another human being. All right. Yep. And then you come out and you're dependent. You, you, you can't go out and like uh, start, you can't go to the grocery store and start buying stuff at that age. You're totally dependent on the other humans around you to take care of you and to nurture you and it's this bonding that occurs at an early age no matter i mean some some families are so much more family oriented others are a little more standoffish and stuff maybe they have nannies or however it's done but it doesn't matter there there is this social interaction that we each need and whether we're introverts or extroverts mm -hmm. even introverts need that kind of social interaction. And right now with the shelter in place situation, um, they are saying that there are, is this increase in drug use, um, painkillers, other things like that, probably uh, antidepressants as well. Mm -hmm. There's uh, increase in suicide. And part of these are due to the fact that there is not that ability to, to actually have this human contact that we used to in the same way. I mean, I know that I'm, I'm suffering from it. Mm. Um, not being able to go out to events. I like going out to events, yeah. parties, and they have family events. We have very small ones occasionally, but it's not like uh, it used to be. And, mm. and that's, it's creating a toll on me. And it, it directly influences the brain. It really influences our brain and our neurotransmitters, the happy, happy hormones too. Yeah. the amount that we're producing, the serotonins and the dopamines and, and the GABA and things of that nature. Um, one of the things that in normal, in a normal setting that I like to have people do to keep their brain alive is something called bank code. And so it's a personality assessment system. Mm -hmm. And we use four cards. Uh -huh. And each of the cards has 12 values on it. So in order to better understand what your own personality is, uh, I say here, do me a favor, take a look at the information on each of these four cards, sort them according to what's most important to you to least important from top to bottom. It's a lot of fun to do. Mm -hmm. And it will save you some time. That is a script, because it touches upon each of the four personality types represented in the cards. I did not invent the script. The woman who invented this, Sherry Tree, came up with that script. But I, I just recently looked. And if you, the listener, would like to find out what your own personality type is, according to the bank code, says the bank doesn't, does, isn't the kind of financial institution bank, mm -hmm. but it is, this is blueprint. Mm -hmm. This is action, A. This is nurturing, N, and knowledge, K. Okay. Oh, you can't quite see those very well because of the oh the green it's screen. on the last one. Yeah, it's, it's the green. The green one doesn't work yeah. very well. I guess yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So um, you can go online to my website that mm -hmm. sends you to the online system that's the official bank code system. Okay. If you go to F O U R hyphen C A R D S, 
cards.com for hyphen cards for cards.com and you can go online and then uh, you can sort the cards online and then you do have to put in your email in order to get the report but you'll get the the uh, email report about your personality type and I think you'll find it quite refreshing um, and very interesting and one of the things about this is that I like to have family members or spouses or couples or mm. um, people in companies I've done a lot of uh, trainings with like police police administrators uh -huh. who are having communication issues i came in and we spoke about this to better figure out well what is it about different personality types that are very compatible and uh -huh. other personality types just clash constantly uh -huh. and when this has been helpful for me also to better understand my primary personality type uh -huh. and so that i realize that when i'm with my daughter i have two daughters and um, they're each slightly different personality types. Surprise, surprise. And if, if I speak to them and act in their personality type versus, versus my personality type, <laughs> it works so much better. It's like mirroring the other person. Everyone knows mm -hmm. about mirroring. But yeah. this is at a, a slightly different level. And understanding the values that they have and the terms that they use, using those words in communication actually creates a greater resonance and a, a greater closeness. And so if you want to use, if you want to have the report for your loved ones, feel free mm -hmm. to do that there as well. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so it's F-O-U-R. F-O-U-R. Hyphen. Dash. Uh-huh. Bank. Hyphen. C-A-R-D-S. Oh, C-A-R-D-S. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I thought for some reason I thought. And bank. so okay. uh, there is one uh, one time I have been on television and I talk about it. Uh huh. And it was a uh, is in Albuquerque, and it, the the uh, the topic was how to save your marriage by playing cards. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so this segment is on YouTube. Uh, uh -huh. If you put in Doctor J Sordian and then Albuquerque. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you figure out how to spell that because it's a, yeah. Albuquerque is a very interesting word. Uh, but uh, Dr. J. Sorian, Albuquerque. And you can watch this segment. And I talk about each of the different personality types mm -hmm. relative to spouses and relative to dating. Uh -huh. And how if you actually better understand the personality type of the person perhaps that you're dating or you're thinking of getting serious with, you will be able to overcome some of the pitfalls or at least predict where the possible uh, issues may come up Interesting. so that you say, okay, I understand better. <clears throat> I know I can cope with it versus being surprised, which happens <laughs> not infrequently. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I'm going on over 30 years with the same person. So good for you. Yep. And it's totally compatible. Pretty much. There are things that I'm sure I drive him crazy and he drives yeah. me crazy, but you know. Do you ever talk about that? Not anymore. Oh. <laughs> the things that drive you crazy, you just don't talk about. Well, so, you know, they're not, they're not deal breakers or anything. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I, you don't know. I'm just saying there's no, you know, it just gives me an outlet to, you know. <laughs> yeah. We all have quirks. Yeah. And understanding those about ourselves often we find out yeah. in in reflection or in you know in juxtaposition with other yeah. people 
Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, you know, I'm sure he does the same thing. I just kind of like, okay, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons why I think uh, learning bank code and the bank codes uh-huh. of other people around you uh-huh. is that, for example, um, when someone, if they end up with dementia or Alzheimer's, hmm. their personality type is going to become even more accentuated in that direction. Oh, and it's difficult often to communicate uh-huh. with people who have dementia because they mm-hmm. are in some other space i i haven't figured it out what it is but um they obviously do not communicate in the same way that they did before they don't recognize who you are necessarily at mm-hmm. more advanced stages they won't know your name mm-hmm. um, but if you actually know some of the key words that they used, you can use those and it will create a, it'll downtone some of the uh, oh, aggressiveness that can happen. And so that's why I think it's yeah. really good to use this in advance. And it also lights up your own brain when you're doing this. There's different uh-huh. parts of the brain oh. where you have to like put these different parts together yeah. in uh, understanding the other person. And that keeps your brain more alive and, and uh, oh. healthy. Okay, interesting. But it has yeah. a multi-purpose. Multi-purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't worry about him getting Alzheimer's. I worry about me more than him. <laughs> he he does he does a lot, and he does a lot with his brain, and it's um. One of yeah, one of the interesting things. There's a, a friend of mine uh, who's down in Watsonville. A mm. couple friends, married couple, and he's not doing so well. Mm. And she's she's a professor. Mm-hmm. And he was also a professor. And one of the things we find in the in the Alzheimer's and dementia arena is that people who are super smart, it takes longer for people to notice this happening because mm-hmm. they can often hide it um, because of their brilliance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they're like half as smart as they used to be, but that's still pretty like, you know, yeah, it's probably more than everybody else around. Still fake right? it yeah. well, but they're actually degenerating. Yeah. And one of the issues with social connections is Uh that when someone like for him he when i go down and i visit we've had lots of conversations over the years so i i know the topics Mm -hmm. he's interested in and so he may start a sentence and after three or four words he doesn't know the the word Mm -hmm. and so i can i can put it in there for him and then he can then he oh yeah yeah and then he'll go on a little more and then i'll stick in the next word uh, but when people are not around people who can do that for them, mm-hmm. there's this huge social isolation that occurs partly out of embarrassment oh, totally. because they're just embarrassed that they just can't do yeah. it anymore. And so they just isolate even more. And that is so difficult for us humans as, as social beings. Yeah. So uh, using this system or other systems, uh-huh. I think can be really, really helpful and that's that's why i integrate it and talk about it in my books as well interesting yeah yeah, yeah. no take a look at it thing yeah. could i talk about yes go for it okay so let me talk a little bit about one more patient who i um saw and and it wasn't someone with dementia but she came can, into can one of my workshops your, can you just change your background a little bit i keep getting all these Thank these you. heads bobbing and Thank weaving you. behind you including Thank your you. your younger one yeah <laughs> Let's change it to this one because this. There is you dumb. go. Okay. Okay. So, um, so this patient had hip pain, and she was retiring from an animal shelter after being there for like forty years working there. Yeah. 
loved animals, but she had this hip pain that had been going on for like 25 or so years. And it really made it difficult for her, her to like walk the animals, things of that nature. So she retired and she was uh, anticipating a, a very sedentary mm -hmm. retirement. So she came into one of my talks. Again, this was about fibromyalgia and chronic pain. And I was doing some testing, which is like the discover part of my three-step process where we discover what may be an underlying cause of the problem before we design the program and then deliver the results. So I, I had her lie on a, a, a library table that was padded slightly. Mm -hmm. And um, I did the testing for meningeal compression. Mm -hmm. And she got up and before she got up, I had her walk around and, and rate how bad her pain was. And it was like an eight. It was, and you could see she was limping around. Oh, and yeah. so she got off the table and she started walking and there was no limp. And she's walking around the library and she, she just had this excited <laughs> look on her face, just like, uh -huh. she's yeah. going, I have no pain. I can't believe it. 25 years. I have no pain. And so I, from that, I knew that meningeal compression was a component of what was going on with her hip. Uh -huh. It may not have been everything, uh -huh. but it was certainly an undiagnosed mm. cause of something. So she came in for a number of more visits. And after about three weeks, she was still doing it, but you know, she would, she would get a little better and then she'd regress a little bit. And so it's a step-by-step -step process uh -huh. of building upon the progress. And after about three weeks, she came in and she said, you know, it's very interesting. Over the weekend, I suddenly realized that I could smell again. It had been like 20 years that she couldn't smell anything. Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, it was really great. There were all these great smells, but on the other hand, there were some smells I wish I didn't have to smell. <laughs> I, we all know some of those. I certainly, yeah. I, I, I can produce some of those smells myself, confession. But so, uh, <laughs> so why I bring this up and this, this picture here is a picture of the nose and Mm. the um, olfactory nerve right up mm -hmm. here <clears throat> here olfactory nerve <laughs> okay and the, and the olfactory nerve is the nerve that feeds the impulses of smells into the brain and the olfactory nerve and the sense of smell is one of the oldest and most primitive and most important senses that we have that because sense. why why do you think why do, do you, i think uh -huh. because because you can you can smell smells that um, you're used to, that you know, and if you smell things that you don't know, a that can that can give you some idea that there's something or somebody around that you need to either figure out or run away from real fast. Yeah, and the same with other smells that you know that you know you don't want to be around. You know, exactly. I mean that, that's a, a big. A big deal that's why you watch animals and the first thing they're doing is smelling around <laughs> that's right yeah they're constantly smelling it's it's yeah. a very powerful sense that also tells us if something is dangerous or deadly if if we eat it okay yeah that makes right? sense uh-huh yeah and yeah. so you know you go or if it's already dead also right yeah right. and and so um it's a very powerful survival mechanism it's also you know the pheromones and things like that are mm -hmm. also very key to to propagation of the species let's put it that way uh-huh uh-huh oh yeah yeah and so one of the fascinating things in the alzheimer's and dementia arena is that we know that the that the olfactory nerve replicates itself very quickly it's one of the nerves of the central nervous system of the brain mm -hmm. 
And if it starts not replicating properly, this is already giving us a hint that the nervous system is starting to di degenerate. Okay. And, early, and so there's actually in one of the one of the uh, programs that I have, I have a smell test that is part of it where you actually smell 10 different things. You mm -hmm. discern what mm -hmm. the smells are. And if you if you get enough of them right, that it, it does indicate that your sense of smell has not degenerated. So it's it's like an early predictor of early brain degeneration. Okay. And there's also a test, there's this peanut butter test where you bring in a, a, a peanut butter from at a 45 degree angle to each nostril and you see, and you see if huh. you can smell it. But it's, it's fascinating because there are very few simple diagnostic tests that will give someone the idea of whether or not their brain is degenerating way before they start having Maybe symptoms I should take that. Uh -huh. or it can be reversed. Yeah. yeah. So that's something else. If you have, if people have interest in that, they could write to my email, and oh, okay. and we could set them up with that too. But um, so that's why I have this picture of the nose, uh -huh. and and so and that woman whose whose sense of smell returned, uh -huh. she never told me that she had any yeah. smell problems. Interesting. I had I I was clueless, and so it wasn't like I set it up for that to work. Yeah. But the meninges, I I truly believe the meninges had a positive benefit that were actually blocking off the flow of blood and oxygen and maybe cerebral spinal fluid to the olfactory nerve and was causing a degeneration of her sense but it had not gone on long enough to actually kill it off totally and she was able to recover it so it's wow. pretty exciting stuff it's you know these little things that that can be so exciting for me and and really warm my heart to say wow i did that i i didn't even anticipate i wasn't even planning on helping her smell yeah. but it, it just added something even more wonderful and she's been able to have a retirement where she can go out and she can do all the walking that she wants oh to my do. goodness yeah Things like that instead of hobbling around and oh yeah 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 that's a great story that's a great great story yeah interesting yeah my mom lost her sense of smell and i'm trying to think but there was some it happened right after something yeah well, I know yeah. my grandfather who lived to be 94, I think uh -huh. he lost his sense of smell ages ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, way, way yeah. ages ago before he even, even died. But I mean, mm -hmm. he, that was an issue that he had, but he was still pretty, pretty, pretty well cognizant and uh -huh. pretty alert up until age 94. So I guess the degeneration of his brain hadn't gone. Well, it all depends, right? It all depends on what causes it. Cause there are other causes that where people lose their sense yes. of smell. That's right. So, um, yeah, interesting. Okay, well, on that note, I think maybe we've probably exhausted most of the first layer of information here. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> probably a good time to, um, to wrap up. And yeah. um, why don't you, before I do my usual spiel about how I'm not a doctor and this isn't medical advice, um, why don't you give us any last minute information pieces that um, maybe your website address or something? Yeah, or... So, so um, one, one avenue that I have now to share information with people is a mm -hmm. Facebook group. Oh, is Brain, right. yep. Wealth, and Longevity. Brain, yeah. Wealth, and Longevity. So if people go to Facebook and they type that in the search function, they should find it. And um, it is a membership. 
it's a group. And so there are three questions that you need to answer <laughs> in order to be accepted into the membership group. Into the membership. This is a secret society. <laughs> I'm trying to make it not so secret, but it's still like yeah. <laughs> you have to do a few things to get into it. Okay. To show that you're actually serious. Got it. And inside, yeah. I have a number of videos that talk about different health tips as well as things that can help you with uh, improving your brain and, and maintaining your nervous system, particularly particular kinds of, of exercises that are very simple, hmm. ones that I have developed, but also ones that I have learned from my Tai Chi masters of, you know, many years. Yeah. So that's a really, it's really fun. It's great, great uh, group of people. And okay. so I would encourage people to go there. And this is what the banner looks like right now behind me. Ah, okay. <laughs> Ignore and neglect your brain now. Risk losing family memories and wealth and life forever. Mm. Which I think is actually pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take much either, does it? No, no. Well, I, and I want to thank susan very much for inviting me on the program and i hope that the listeners are listening to all of her podcasts they all have great nuggets of of wisdom and things that will help enlighten them and make their life lighter i try i try you know you succeed oh good i'm glad So, okay. So my, my last little thing as usual is that I am not a medical doctor. This is not to be seen as medical advice. And if you are having issues with medical problems, please contact your own doctor or go to the emergency room if that's how important the problem is. And with that, I will say goodbye and thank you very much, Dr. J, for coming on today. Goodbye. Thank you all. And um, I will see all of you next week. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.